Well, go ahead, and if you want to, just turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll start right in there. Let me get mine to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're looking at what we're calling 412 Christian Life. It's a study that I did a long time ago. I mean, but I didn't have the depth that we have now. And I'm rewriting actually every lesson. I just rewrote lesson five today. Uh, it took me more than one today. But, uh, and so what I'm doing is in each lesson, we're expanding, adding some things, putting some things in there, going a little bit deeper than we ever have really before. So there'll be some neat things, I think, as we go through it. We're looking at key is to help us grow. We want to be like Christ. We want to be like our Savior. We want to become mature believers. In fact, that's what we want to be. We want to be spiritually mature men and women. So we start off and we define the Christian life, and I've got it there for you. The Christian life is that time period from salvation when we put our faith in Jesus Christ until we go to be with our Savior, either by the fact that we die and to be absent from the body, is present with the Lord, or that He comes and gets us in the clouds, which we call the rapture. So our study is divided into two big parts. Part one is the first five lessons deal with what we call the foundation, and part two is more of the details. Part one dealt with the change. What happens when we trust Christ? The growth. How do we grow? Next week will be the walk. How do we walk in the Christian life? Now, we're getting big ideas and big things, and then we're going to get more details when we get a little bit further on in the second section. We'll talk about the power in the Christian life, and then we'll talk about what's the results. What are we supposed to look like? I I wrote question, I wrote, uh, rewrote lesson five today, so I just mentioned that. And one of the questions that I ask in question five, in, in lesson five is, can you tell if someone's a Christian or not? And and we'll talk about that because somebody would say, well, of course you can if they live right. Well, not necessarily. And so we'll talk about that when we get there. But what are we supposed to look like? We'll see that then. Part two, I stole in the details. We'll look at Romans chapter 6, Romans 7. We'll uh, touch on some things about uh, sin and confession and being fruitful. Uh, I think that one of the keys, I mean, I... I, I after y'all left last Wednesday night, I had a group of fraternity guys come in. I've The farmhouse guys, they come in. I meet with them every year. I meet with their pledges every year. I've done it for 32 years, okay? So they come in here. So most of those guys, I've been, I've been meeting with them before they were ever born. And they always raise questions and ask questions and and things like that. And so uh, we look at being fruitful and rewards and all of that kind of stuff. In our class, it came up. I always, I always, I always teach them from the Bible. I always give them how I came to know Christ. And then I open it up for Bible questions. And they ask everything. You would not believe all the questions they ask, which is pretty neat. And then they have to go back to the pledge stuff. So they'd like to stay with me as long as possible. But... One of the issues came up. What difference when we start talking about rewards? Do you understand? Most people aren't taught rewards. How many of you were taught rewards before you really got connected with us? Taught rewards that you were taught about rewards. Most people, see, most hands. There's almost no hands up because here's what most people believe. And I know I'm a little bit off subject, but I just want you to think about this. Uh, most people believe that the reward is what salvation. That's why so many people tie works into it. Because when you say, when you stand before Christ, that's right, I want to I wanna get salvation. And the reward is salvation. The reward's not salvation. Salvation's a gift. Right? Salvation's given to us freely as a gift. We're talking rewards are what we gain or what we earn based on how we live as believers. So it does matter. 
if you're fruitful, if you produce fruit. And it does matter about rewards. And so in, our, in this lesson, or these lessons, we're going to have a couple of lessons each on the whole idea of rewards and the whole idea of being fruitful and how we live and what we do. Because I think it's really important because a lot of people never talk about that. So we're going to see a lot. And last time we saw the change. And let me just remind you, and this is, this is what I, I always hit on and I think it's very, very important is let's, let's think about salvation for a minute because we're dealing with Christian life. Salvation, as we know, is a gift. It's by faith in Christ. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And whoever believes in him has what? Eternal life. Now, let me say something because some people are confused. We're saved because we do what? We put our faith in Christ for what? For what? Eternal life. We're trusting Jesus to give us eternal life. Is it possible to believe that Jesus died and rose again and not trust in Him for eternal life? Yes. And see, I hear people all the time say, if you just believe Jesus died and rose again, you're saved. You're not saved because you believe Jesus died and rose again. That's, what, that's a fact from history that He died and rose again. And He died for everybody and rose again for everybody. Salvation isn't that I just believe Jesus died and rose again. Salvation is I'm believing that Jesus Christ gives me life, eternal life. I'm trusting Christ to save me. Not that I trust what he did. I'm trusting him as the Savior. And that's a difference. Uh, someone wrote me today, wrote me an email, and says that they told this person all they had to do was believe Jesus died and rose again, and they would be saved. Is that right? To just believe that he died and rose again and you're saved? No, it's not. Have you heard all your life, you just have to believe Jesus died and rose again and you're saved? You believe in Him as your what? Savior. Savior. You're trusting Him to give you what? Eternal life. Just to believe He existed and what He did is not necessarily believing that He's your Savior. So there's all kind of stuff. And, and I just want to make sure we understand <laughs> that salvation is a gift by faith in Christ because He has given to us eternal life. That's His offer and that's His promise. God loved the world, us, gave his son, Jesus, to die and rise again, that whosoever would what? Believe, believe in him would have eternal life. You believe in him to get eternal life, and you're trusting Jesus. Okay, so we talked last time about two big changes. Number one was that we've been placed in union with Jesus Christ. And this is what's amazing, okay? You remember the big drawing, right? Okay, that's us. Okay, this is the unbeliever. He has a what? A body? What else? A soul? Come on. Conscience and what? Flesh. The body holds it together. The soul relates to the... The conscience tells you. And the flesh does what? The bent to sin. Okay. Here's the body of Christ, which is the church. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're trusting in Him to give you eternal life, you are placed in... In Christ, in union with Christ. You are baptized into Christ. All that happens the exact moment you put your faith in Christ. The second thing, as we put down, that number two is that you're a new creation in Christ. And we said that being a new creation in Christ, you're made alive. You become spiritually alive. You have the human spirit. And what else happens? Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. So this is us. And we're going to see as we go through the Christian life, and we haven't even got to it yet, but we're going to get to this battle right here. There's a battle going on. Because as an unbeliever, we had a body, soul, conscience, flesh. 
As a Christian, we have a body, soul, conscience, flesh, human spirit, which, by the way, we're going to get to this in more details, cannot sin. You cannot sin. The human spirit part of you, the born-again part, cannot sin. You go, well, then why do I still sin? You got that right there. That's why when you're... When God gives us a new body and everything, that flesh won't be there. That's why there won't be sin anymore. And then you've got the Holy Spirit. So this is us. So the thing that's happened is we've been placed in Christ, and we're a new creation in Christ, which means we're now made spiritually alive. We can now understand the things of God. We can know them. We can understand them. And we've got God, the Holy Spirit, inside. You know, I, I, we're, how many of you were in Grow Group Sunday? Most of you? You know, when I taught that about what the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit does what? He, he helps our weakness. He knows. He pr- actually prays for us. Did you know I talked to some people, and uh, in two different grow groups, they came back to me and said, nobody in our grow groups had ever heard that before, that the Holy Spirit made intercession, really prayed for you because you don't know what's prayer. He knows our weaknesses. He prays for us. So you, you got, we got, we got the most amazing thing in the world. Not only are we new creation in Christ, but we got God actually living inside of us. But we still got that. And it never gets better. I remember uh, somebody saying to me, well, the, the, uh, as you mature as a Christian, you're Spirit, and they were actually saying Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets stronger and stronger, and the flesh gets weaker and weaker. Does the Holy Spirit get stronger and stronger? No, the Holy Spirit's already to the max. Does the flesh get weaker and weaker? I don't think so. Does it feel weaker to you? No. <coughs> yeah, the body. <coughs> the body going down fast, let me just tell you. But, so I just want you to understand, as we go through this, all these lessons, we're going to be talking about all this in a bunch of different ways. So there's a lot of good stuff to think about. So when we trust Jesus Christ, we're changed people. We go from death to life, from darkness to light. We're made alive. And it says at the bottom of page 1 there, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, we are what? New creation in Christ. You could put new people, new creation, whatever you want to put. We're new people. That's who we are. And uh, that's why I say over and over, you, ought to, you need to look at yourself and you don't need to go around saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You need to say, I'm a new creation in Christ, created in Christ Jesus, with the power of God and the ability to understand and know God. That's who you are. So we don't need to live defeated. We need to live with victory. Okay, so as those are new creation in Christ. We're made alive. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We need to think about what God wants for us. And as we look at lesson two, we want to talk about growth. And we want to talk about it. So what, what happens? Let's, let's think about it. We all, well, I was going to say we all love babies, but not everybody does love babies. But, I, but most people love babies. They're so cute. And, um, uh, they, you know, and what, you, you see them, what do they do? They sleep and they cry and they use the bathroom and they eat and you have to take care of them. We love them. But what we eventually want to do, as cute as they are, we eventually want them to grow up so that we don't have to change them and that, that they can eat their own food and, you know, they can get up and, and that kind of thing. And so what we want is when somebody is a baby, we go, this is a baby. And then one day we want to say they're a teenager. And then one, then that's a terrible time. But then we want to, but anyway, that's the bottom line. But what about Christians the same way? You realize we start off as a what? As a baby. First Peter 2, 2, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. So we're, we're, we start off as babies, but we don't want to stay as babies. So two basic goals of the Christian life I have for you. One is Romans eight twenty nine, and that is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8, 29 says. In other words, we're to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And this is, this is maturity, and this is growth, and this is holiness. Uh, we, we're children of God. We're supposed to grow, to grow up and live. And, and so I, the plan, I've got Ephesians for you there. I see where it says Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. Just under that, put unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. Then under that, put no longer children. And then under that, put grow up. Because that's really what Ephesians 4, 13 through 15 says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which is the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth and love, we grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted held together. And we could go on. But that's, that's the passage. And that text, says, what is the plan? The plan is to be in unity with other believers and to be mature and no longer be a child going back and forth by every wind of doctrine, but growing up. And, and, and the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body in love. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I know a lot of Christians that aren't hardly any different than they were when they trusted Christ 25 years ago. And there's two faults there. One, it's their fault. Because they should have studied the Bible, they should have dug it, they should have... But there's also faults in churches, because many churches never touch, teach the Bible at all, and people don't know anything. And it is amazing, if you, if you went out of here, and you talked to people in town, and you asked them basic, foundational Bible questions. I'm not going to say a name, but there's somebody who's been coming to our church recently, and they met with someone to talk about the 412, which we call the 412 what? foundations right and as they started going through it with the person they said do you don't y'all have something a little simpler than this i i don't have i don't have a clue of anything you're talking about okay so they've grown up never actually been in a church that taught them anything and we're taking the foundational truths from the 412 and they're saying i've never heard any of these things at all no wonder they they're still babies Okay, so th there's faults in both places, the person and the, and the local churches. And so the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, that we're maturity, no longer children, to grow up. The second thing is Second Peter 3.18, which is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. When you grow in grace... I mean, you understand boy, everything, everything God's done for you. And when you grow in knowledge, you're beginning to put it together. You should grow in both of these, by the way. If you grow only in grace, then it's license. You say, I can do anything I want to. If you grow only in knowledge, you get legalism, and you say, there's all these rules. That's why you have to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. They go together as you see how the Bible fits together. We grow. Grace is the most misunderstood word, John. I don't think most people grasp grace. I mean, when people ask me, because I had a guy ask me the other, last Wednesday night, so I don't want, why, if I'm going to heaven forever, why should I ever serve him? Because I got it made no matter what. How would you answer that? You know what that person doesn't grasp? They don't grasp grace, do they? <coughs> because in true grace, you understand. 
that you're absolutely nothing. You're dead in sin. God saved you. He, he gives you eternal life. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you the Bible. It's not because of anything you've ever done. In fact, if he gave you what you deserved, you'd be separated forever. And in his grace, he saved you and will use you. And if you grasp grace, you say, I'll do anything you want me to do. Thank you for everything you've done. So when you grasp grace, grace causes you to serve. When a person tells you, if you actually think you're going to heaven forever, you won't serve because you'll live any way you want to. No, you won't. If you actually understand grace, you will serve Jesus Christ because you'll, you'll just say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Wow. I mean, that, that's what grace is. So we've got to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Philippians, <clears throat> when, when we think about it, Philippians 3.10 Paul writes, and I want you to think about this. He says, this is in Philippians, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's in prison, and he says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering. What does it mean to know Christ? I mean, don't, when you most, if I said to you, do you know Jesus Christ? Most of the people say, well, yeah, I know him. I trusted him when I was 15 or something. So sometimes when we think we talk about knowing Christ, we're thinking about knowing Christ as what? As Savior. So, but there I've got for you that uh, know Christ, Savior. That's one aspect. But there's also the aspect of knowing Christ on who He is as our Savior, as our, as our, as our friend, as our, the one who loves us and uses us. That's when Paul said that I might know Him. I, I, don't, I don't, you know what, off the top of my head, but there's two Greek words for know. There's oida, which means to know intuitively, and there's gnosko, which means come to know. And this is the word I'm most positive is gnosko. And so he's saying that I might come to know him. Now, if you said, Paul, I thought you knew Christ. Oh, I know him as Savior. I'd like to really know him. I'd like to come to know him as who he is. And that's what every one of us in this room, we already know him as Savior. We'd say, yeah, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and, and I have eternal life. But how well... How much do we know him? Are we coming to know him? And that's, that's why I think it's so vital. The goal of the Christian life is, is to become formed to the image, is to grow in the grace of knowledge, is to know who he is and what he's doing, to know him in, in, the, in the relationship way as Savior, but know him in the fellowship way. And so we're going to look at different things here. And some of this, we, we've, you know, if you've had the 2-2, if you've had the 4-12, I mean, there are basic truths that are all throughout the Bible. And so uh, some of these things you may say, well, I've heard some of this before. That's good. Some of you may say, I never heard this before. And, and so anyway, so let's talk about some factors that affect growth because we want to grow, right? All of us want to grow. And so there are three things. I'm going to give them to you, and then we'll talk about them. The first one is control. The second one is time. And the third one is the foundation. And after, after the word foundation, just put the Word of God. So when we think about growing, there's the aspect of control, there's the aspect of time, and there's the aspect of the foundation, which is the Bible. And so I, I would say that probably every one of us in this room would say, we want to grow. I mean, we want to be like Christ. And so, how do we do that? So I think it's the top of the page we got control. On the top of the next page, let's talk about control. And, and we say, what does it mean? And we say, in order to grow, we've got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now remember the drawing again? We've got, we got a body and a what? And a soul and a conscience and a flesh. And then we got 
the, the Spirit, which is the human spirit, and then we got the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're talking about, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about what, how the Bible uses the term. What does it say? The, the Holy Spirit is the power to live. Now be careful, because there are people who say, if you say the Holy Spirit's a power, is the Holy Spirit a power, the power? Yes or no? Is he the power? He is, but he's a person. He's not a force. He's not like the force is with you, you know, and, and there's a good side of the force and the bad side of the force. Let me, let me tell you something. They... Uh, uh, the two big Christian organizations did a survey of like a thousand churches and they asked Christians questions about theology questions. And one of the questions, is the Holy Spirit a power or a person? And 68% of the people said he was a power, not a person. They did not see, they said, God the Father is a person. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, is a person, but God the Holy Spirit is a force. Is that right? No, it's not right. The Holy Spirit, even though he, we'd say He's the power that we live, He's a person. He's a person. He's a member of the Godhead. We can't comprehend it. We believe it. There's the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. So the bottom line is when we talk about being controlled, being controlled by the Holy Spirit means we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have a choice. We can either live in the flesh... Or the what? Or the Spirit. It's really, that's, that's, what, that's what we have. We wake up every day and you have choices all day long, cons- all the time, consistently choices. <coughs> and that is either to live in the flesh or live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, what, that's the choices. And so if we're going to have victory, if we're going to grow, if we're going to be mature believers, if we're going to be spiritually mature Christians, we've got to grow. And so what does he say? He says we've got to be controlled. Got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 said we must present ourselves to God. Present ourselves to God. I've been um, working on something later this afternoon after I got lesson 5. Lesson 6 deals with Romans chapter 6, which I think is, is and we'll get to it pretty soon, I think it's the most important chapter in the Bible, in, in the New Testament aspect, for how we can have victory in the Christian life. And I've been working on it, because Romans 6.13, that's in part of that. In fact, we're going to really highlight Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, when we get to lesson 6, and possibly lesson 7. I haven't decided how I'm going to put them together yet. But he actually says, you know, you got a choice every day. You can either present yourself to your flesh, or you can present yourself to the Spirit. And, that, and that's the choices that you have. And you can't say the devil made me do it, because you made you do it. You know, let's just face it. So we got the choices. And so let's talk about well, how the Bible describes this. The Bible describes being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, you might know what it says. Be what? Be filled with the Spirit. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled actually means controlled. Do you remember in Ephesians 5.18 the example that Paul gives of being controlled or being filled? Anybody remember the passage? How does the verse go? Because the, the verse doesn't just start, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do not be what? Do not be drunk with wine, but be Filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're drunk with wine, what does that mean? You're being controlled by what? 
the wine. You're being filled with the wine. You're you're saying, I, I, yeah, oh, I, you know, go, would you sit down? You don't know what you're doing, right? What does it mean to be filled with? He says, do not be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that something, he uses the, the illustration, the example, in the same way that wine controls a person, then the Holy Spirit ought to control a person. And so we should allow the Holy Spirit to control us, be filled with the Spirit. And by the way, just, just if you want to write this out, the Greek there actually says, keep on being filled. It's the way it's written in the Greek. It's not a one-time deal like, you know, get filled. It's continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty impressive. And, and you know, and we're going to talk about it. And we, uh, What does that mean, though? I mean, let's say that you wake up tomorrow morning. How do you, how, how you get filled with the Spirit? Huh? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's true, but do you have to spend time with God to be filled with the Spirit? I mean, uh, what does it mean? I mean, let's say I get up, and I brush my teeth, and I put on my clothes, and I'm about to walk out the door, and I want to make sure I'm filled with the Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, that He's indwelling us. That's different than filling, but you're right, He's already inside of us. So we don't have to say, please come, because He's already here. So if you have sin in your life, are you going to be filled? No. So what might be something to make sure you confess any sins, make sure it's okay. And, and you might start by just saying, use me today, Lord. I, I want to be faithful to be. What else do you have to do? Nothing. Listen, it's not some mystical, magical thing. It's saying to God, you know, deal with any sin that's in your life so you can be in fellowship. And just telling him, use me, Lord, for your glory. And taking the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have. That's what being filled actually means. It's, it's not some mystical thing. And uh, so if you go a little further down, Galatians 5.16 is talking about the same thing. He says, we are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember we talked about this, that the, there were... Um, uh, Several words that were used to describe the Christian life and boxing and by, walking is the main one. It's used over and over again. I think it's because it's step by step, moment by moment. It's decisions that we make as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know salvation costs us nothing, but discipleship costs us our lives. And so there's a decision I think we make. Let, let me just say this. This is going to sound bad. But when I was 19, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I believed in Him and I knew that I had eternal life and that I could ever take it away. And, and I, w I was saved for ever, forever, exactly. And, and, but I didn't really grow very much. In fact, I, I went to church. I, I got saved on February the 13th, 1969. And I went to church with some guys till the end of school. And back in those days, we didn't get out to June. So I went home. To my mother and daddy had moved to another town. I'd grown up in Meridian, Mississippi, and they moved to this little bitty, I thought, hick town. And so I had to go home that summer to live in this hick town, which I didn't know anybody there. But anyway, it was, it was okay. But my mother and daddy never went to church. So what happened that summer? I didn't really grow. I mean, nothing really much happened. And then when I came back in the fall, you know, I had football and I had track and everything. And, and, I kind of lost track with the guys that had that little Bible study and all this. And so for the next, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, graduating from college, 23, 24, 25, I, you know, was I saved? 
Of course. Am I living righteously and godly? No. And, and let me tell you what happened. At age 25, uh, I, did, I, was, I was living uh, not very good. And I think that my Heavenly Father disciplined me. And I became miserable. And I was coaching at Mississippi State. And one night I came home from football practice. And I got by my bed and said, I understand that, you know, I know I'm saved forever, but I'm miserable. It's because I know that I ought to be living for you. And so I make a decision tonight that I will give you my life in service. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You want me to be a coach, I'll be a coach. If you don't want me to be a coach, I don't want to be a coach. I'll just do anything you want me to do. Guess what happened then? Okay. What changed? I've been saved for a long time. But I made it, I got to a point where I said, I want my life to count for Christ. Okay, we're talking about tonight about, okay, all of us who know Christ as Savior, and we want to grow. We want to make a difference. We want our lives to count for Christ. Have we come to this point? Because I've got right down there under the Galatians, it says a key decision. And that key decision is to do what? Romans 12, to offer your life as a living sacrifice. To offer your life. I made that decision when I was 25, and I said, I want my life to count for you. I have never been the same. Never been the same. I mess up all the time. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I'm, I mess up all the time. But, but it's never been the same because God said, okay, I hear you. I hear you. I said, I want my life to count for you. I offer my life as a living sacrifice. And then he said, now here's how you do it. Stop being what? Conformed to this world and be transformed by the word. So if you want to write down on your deal there, Romans 12, stop being conformed, and that's conformed to the world, and be transformed by the word. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. He says, and stop, being stop being conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you know what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that's the bottom line. And I've got a little statement. If you see it at the very bottom of the thing, this is a statement that I, that I kind of put together some, some years ago, and it just says this. If we're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to the world. And let me just tell you something, and you know this is true. I've talked to you over and over about this. If you're not on purpose studying the Bible, digging it, put it in your brain, uh, being transformed by the Word of God, seeking to live it out. If you're not doing that unconsciously, this world and its views and its values will be shaping you. You don't even actually realize it. I mean, I watch people today that some of the stuff they watch on television, and they laugh at it and think it's funny. You just go back 30 years ago to my... That wouldn't be on TV. It would be too nasty. It would be too trashy. It would be censored. You couldn't even have that. And nowadays, the people will go, That's so funny. Look at that. It's not funny. But, but this is our world. And, and we just slowly blend in to everything that the world pulls on us. You know, and so... I, if we're not consciously being transformed by the word, we will unconsciously be conformed to the world. So if you never made that decision, we're talking about growing as Christians. If you've never said, hey, I want my life to count for Christ. It's a scary thing because what you basically did is just sacrificed your life. And that's what called discipleship is. When Jesus said, take up your cross, die to yourself, and live for me. That's what discipleship is. You want to be a disciple of Christ, you have to say, I give up my life. I wasn't a disciple. I was a believer. I didn't become a disciple till right there. And the, the hard thing about a living sacrifice 
is we keep crawling off the altar, right? You know, and we keep saying, you know, I think I'll do my own thing. God said, no, 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 you know, no, you can't do your own thing now. I got you, which is really good. Okay, so control, control uh, is, is, is a key. And so we have choices daily to present ourselves to the flesh. Oh, no, I don't know how we got this, like three blanks there. It's supposed to be just two blanks. Present ourselves to the Holy Spirit or to the flesh. So it's present yourself to the Holy Spirit or to the flesh. So the first factor is control. Who's going to control your life? That's what it boils down to. By the way, Doug said a good thing just then. We know that you either got the flesh or the spirit, but who's going to decide? Who decides? We do. We do. We decide if we're going to live our lives in the power of the flesh or if we're going to live our lives in the power of the spirit. We get to decide that. So let's talk about the second thing, and the second thing is time. Because the first thing that, that decides if we're spiritually mature or not is whether we're controlled or not by the Holy Spirit. The second thing is time. And the thing when you realize the Christian life is a process. It begins the moment we trust Christ, and it continues until we're the Lord, and we're seeking day after day to grow as a believer, to be like Christ, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so I think there's some terms we want to, and most of you know these terms, but the first one is the word spiritual, Okay. Spiritual, we say, I want to be a spiritual person. Spiritual means controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. Controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the second word is mature. And that is controlled by the Holy Spirit over time. Controlled by the Holy Spirit over time. We don't want to just be spiritual. We want to be mature. Or spiritually mature, and we'll talk about that, okay? So, uh, and it, let's talk about different people, okay? And let's talk about the whole idea of, of spiritual. Spiritual is when a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And let me ask you this question Spiritual is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, if this exact moment you are actually in the power of the Holy Spirit, living in the Spirit, are you a spiritual person? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Remember, sometimes when you hear that, you think, oh, no, no, I'm not real spiritual. i got a long way to go. That's maturity. That's a different word. We're talking about spiritual. So if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're what? Spiritual. If you're controlled by the flesh, you are carnal or fleshly, okay? And we'll talk about it. So uh, let's look at something here. There, there. Go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to show you something. The Bible talks about three different kinds of people, and they actually list them, okay? Look what he says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The word down there is soulish. It's the Greek word for soul. You know what the Greek word for soul is? Suke. We get what? Psyche from it. The Greek word for soul is suke. It means that part of you that has the mind, emotion, and will. And the Bible calls a soulish person a natural person. That is an unbeliever. So you can write out by soulish, you can write an unbeliever. That's called, <coughs> it's called the natural man. Okay, notice he goes, But the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish to him. He can't understand them. Why? Because they're taught by the Spirit. They're spiritually appraised. But he who is, what's next? Spiritual. Spiritual. And I've got that. You go a little further down. A spiritual person is a one controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right? And then, if you notice a little bit further down, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, 
And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual. What does that mean? Controlled by the Holy Spirit. But as to men of flesh. That's controlled by the flesh. What's that called? Carnal. So you've got a soulish person, which is an unbeliever. You've got a carnal person, which is a believer who's living in the flesh. And you've got a spiritual person who's a believer who's living in the Spirit. Okay, does that make sense? And if you, if you look at the top of your next page, it's got 1 Corinthians 2.14, and that's the natural man. And then it's got 1 Corinthians 3.1, that's the carnal man. And then the other 1 Corinthians 3.1, that's the spiritual man. So you've got all three of them listed there for you. So, we would hope that there are no natural men, natural people in this room. Then we've got options, don't we? We can either be spiritual or carnal. We can. And sometimes we, it's really quick changing. <laughs> right? So we can say, oh, I love Jesus, and then you hit your foot, and all of a sudden you're carnal. Right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, we could do a lot of things. And so now here's the big question, see? So you've got, you've got an unbeliever. Okay, that's the natural man. And then you've got a believer who could be, who could be carnal, or spiritual, but then we've used that other word because our goal, we said, is not just to be spiritual because spiritual means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But what's the right word we want to hear? Mature. We want to be a mature believer. We want to be spiritually mature. And so we, we raised some questions. Can a new believer or a young believer be mature? No, I mean, okay, because it takes what? What does it take? It takes time. Remember we said earlier that a spiritual person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. A mature person has been controlled by the Holy Spirit over a period of time. So you could be a brand new believer. Could a brand new believer be spiritual? Could a 50-year-old believer be carnal? Yes. Could a brand new believer be mature? Could a 50-year-old believer be mature? Could, yeah. So it just takes, there's a time aspect in there that you've got to understand that uh, that happens. So the control and time and maturity. So I want you to look at something. This is why I love this passage. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Flip over toward the back of your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. <laughs> And I want you to see what he says. Now, the book of Hebrews is sort of hard because he's really taking Old Testament and New Testament bringing them together. And because the Jewish believers had put themselves back under the Mosaic law, so he's got to basically show them that Jesus is better than the law. He's better than any aspect, Old Testament or anything. That's what he's doing. But he's writing to these believers. And let me say it this way. They, they were like me. They trusted Christ. And they were going, woohoo! And they, and they grew for a while. And then pressure came in. And then some people came in and said, and so they actually went back under the Mosaic law. And so when he writes to them, are they Christians? Are they carnal Christians? Yes. Are they mature Christians? No. Listen to what he says to them. Look at uh, verse 12. He says, for by this time, you ought to be what? You ought to be teachers. By this time, they should have been what? 
teachers. There's been enough time passed from the time they trusted Christ till he writes to them, whoever the writer is. We're not sure who it is. Whoever writes us, he says, by this time you ought to be what? Let me ask you this question. What if, I mean, I don't know. I don't know everybody. But what if I said, by this time, most of you in this room ought to be what? Teachers. Because how long have you been believers? I mean, we got, to get, we got people who said, I've never heard any of the stuff in the 412. Well, they're not ready to be teachers. Now, by that time, they should have been. They've been Christians for 20 years and never heard any of this stuff. But let me tell you, it doesn't take 20 years. It doesn't take 10 years. It doesn't even take five years. In a few years, you can know the Bible and be discipling other people. And so he says, by this time, they should be teachers. But they needed, notice what he says, but they need someone to teach them the elementary principles of the Word of God. They needed milk, not what? Not meat. See, milk is for who? Babies. Meat's for who? That's, that's, that's the mature. This, this is babies. And he says, by this time... You should be over here teaching other people. And he says, but I need to go back and teach you the baby stuff again. Because you didn't grow. Because even though time passes, that's not a guarantee. You mean you, it's going to take time to mature, but just because time goes by doesn't guarantee that you're going to grow. So he says in verse 13, they, uh, he says, for everyone who, who partakes of only a milk does not accustom word of righteousness for their for infants. They were baby Christians and they needed to be taught again. Or they needed to be trained again. They needed to uh, to mature. They needed to be given milk. I mean, think about it. I mean, let me tell you something. Most of you in this room, if I started saying, let's talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. Let's talk about this. Most of you say, well, I have an idea of what he's talking about. Well, we've heard all this stuff before. We've heard this stuff before. We've been in grow group. We've, if I started talking about prayer and we said, let's talk about the Lord's Prayer and how that fits. Let's talk about the five different kinds of prayer. Let's talk about patterns. Most of you would say, well, we, we, we've heard that. We've heard that. Most of you have been through the 412 and we talk about the difference between discipleship and salvation. Most of you in this room, if we talked about what the gospel message is and the salvation message, every one of you could answer it. But do you know, if you go to most places and you ask those basic questions, most people do not know the answers of what you're talking about. There's something wrong when people have been Christians for a while and they haven't grown. So we've got to make sure that we're growing. And so the writer says, by this time you ought to be teachers, but somebody needs to teach you the basic principles all over again. You need the milk. And then he gets to verse 14, and look what he says. Solid food is for the what? Mature. That, and, and maturity comes as we are trained, trained to discern good and evil. Trained to do that means it, t- it takes training to study the Bible, to put it together, to understand the right and the wrong, the good, the evil, how it all fits, those kind of things. And that's what you got to do. And if you want to grow as a Christian, it's going to take a while, but it doesn't have to take very long. Listen, I know, listen, I know people who have had 412 twice, 2 2 twice. They've had uh, uh, the by, by, uh, discipline for godliness, they've had. Three or four other, and you say to them, who are your disciples? They go, I'm not ready yet. You're never going to be ready. If you're not, what do you mean you're not ready yet? You've had, you know more than 95%. Let me tell you something. If you know the basic things that we taught, you know more than 95% of all Christians in the world. You understand that? You're in the top 5%. 
just by understanding the gospel message the, and the difference between discipleship and salvation and how to grow. You, you already know a lot more than most people. <coughs> so we can't say we're not ready yet. So the challenge for us is to grow and to, to be there where we solid food and that we ought to be teachers and we take what we know and we pass it on. So let's go quickly to the final thing here. The third thing. <laughs> there's control, there's time, and then there's the foundation, which is the Word of God. And by the way, this is what I, I think sets our church apart because everything we do goes back to the Scripture. And when we come on Sunday morning, we're teaching the Scripture. When we have grow group, we're teaching the Scripture. When we have a class like this, we're teaching the Scripture. When you, if you go to the other classes, they're teaching the Scripture. You've got little kids over there, they're memorizing the Bible and the Scripture. Whenever We have Bible studies, we have our college stuff, we have our youth stuff. Everything goes back to the Bible. It has to. There's no other authority. The Bible is the authority, and it's the truth. And so if, if the foundation for this church and the foundation for everything we do has to go back to the Bible, so we're supposed to know the Bible and apply the Bible. That's the key. You've got to know and apply the Bible. Now, there's even more things to it, but I'm just talking about as a growing as a Christian, you've got to know it and you've got to live it out. 2 Timothy 3.16 just says all Scripture is inspired. We know that. The Scripture, the Scripture is what's inspired. What amazes me is the, the people who treat the Bible as if it's nothing. You understand what you hold in your hand? The written revelation of the living God. That's hard to imagine. That's hard to imagine that this isn't just a book. Let me tell you, I, I, I mean, if you really get into this thing and you start reading it and you start studying it and you start going front to back and, and over, if you, just, if you just read through the Bible every year and if you just start, all of a sudden you start seeing how this thing fits together so perfectly. It does. It fits together perfectly. And then, and then I got to go. I got to go to seminary. Not everybody goes to seminary. In fact, most people shouldn't even go. And let me, let me tell you, you get there and I got to study the languages like Hebrew and Greek. And the more I got into those languages, the more perfect I saw the word becoming. It's even, it's even better because we used to make the joke that when you look at a Bible in English, it's like a, a black and white television. But if you look at a Bible in Greek, it's like a colored television because it just becomes vivid and you can see everything. And, and the Greek is so exact. Just like a while ago he said the word no. I said, you know, oida. The Greek word oida means to know that you just naturally know it. And gnosko means you come to know it. So if I said, do you know that? In Greek, I might say, do you gnosko that? Or do you oida that? And then they would know exactly what we're talking about. Because it's such an exact language. And when you study the Bible, it is so perfect how it fits together. So don't let anybody ever tell you the Bible's got all these errors and the Bible can't be trusted. And they got all these copies. of it. Listen, it's perfect and the deeper you dig it the more perfect you see that it is it is alive and powerful and it is sharper so second timothy is it's the all scriptures inspired second timothy 2:15. we're to study it you know i used to quote the verse wrong i used to say study to show yourself approved to god well i used to say study to show yourself approved a workman need not be ashamed i left out to god where when you study who are you getting approved to God, not me, not, you, not even you or your friends. You don't study so that I, somebody could say, ooh, good job. You actually study so God will go, good job. That's, that's why that verse is so powerful. That's the one verse that people use. And then, of course, First Peter 2, 2 is a new dorm babe, desire the milk of the word. So you got to dig it. you got to desire it. Let me tell you what you do. You, you just got to have time. 
you got to have a time for two things. you got to have a time for a quiet time, and you got to have a time for study. Get you a time every day, if it's only 15 minutes, if it's 20 minutes, whatever time you can do, and you just read and pray and talk to God and spend time with Him and read His Word and see things and, and just love it. And then, if it's weekly or whatever, get you a time that you're actually studying something on your own. If you said, okay, I'm going to do Philippians, and you just start studying Philippians, and you do the things like we taught you, like observation, interpretation, application, you study sections, you put the book together, suddenly you're studying, you're going, I know what this book is about. I've told you the story. I'd never, I'd never really studied the Bible. I got all pumped up, and I wanted to study the Bible, and... I was coaching at Mississippi State, and I just started really growing. And so I thought, what book can I study? You know, I don't, these books are big. And I found one called Philemon. It was only 25 verses. I thought, surely I can get through this thing. It's 25 verses. It's not even, you know, in my Bible. It's like a page, and I, you know, it's nothing. So surely I could study that. I started studying. I didn't realize it was in there. That book is so deep. That's three huge principles in the book of Philemon. And then the more I studied it, it kept coming alive. And I thought, if this little bitty book, this little bitty letter from Paul to, to Philemon tells me this kind of stuff, I wonder what all these others are going to have in them. You know, dig it. Start with Philemon. Tell me what's in that book. Paul's writing about a runaway slave to his friend Philemon, and he's writing about Onesimus who ran away. And so you think, well, that's all he's just saying. He ran away. I got him. No, no. Read that book. There are principles that apply to you today. It's beautiful. Okay, so we've seen all this, and we see the foundation, know what we believe, the Bible, factors. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the time. We've seen the Bible. And so the question is, are we being controlled by the Holy Spirit over time, knowing and applying the Bible to become more and more like Christ? That's what it boils down to. So let me give you some summary statements, okay? Number one, the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word Christian means? You know, they weren't called Christians at first. Anybody know what they were called at first? The, they, they were the way. Yeah, the way. And then uh, in Antioch, which is Antioch, Pisidia, they, it's, uh, it's not the Turkey Antioch, it's the other Antioch. They first started being called Christian. You know what Christian means? It means little Christ. We're supposed to be little Christ. We're all supposed to look like Jesus. I mean, that's what we are. That's what we're supposed to be. So Christian means little Christ. <laughs> so they were called the little Christ because they're, they're the people who are trying to be like Christ. If you ever, and I wish I could find it. I'll try to find it. There's, a, there's an article, and I think I read it on a Sunday morning, and it talked about this guy in the first century who was not a Christian describing Christians. And it was unbelievable. It was like... They love one another. They do this. They give things away. They, you know, it was it was like a paragraph of describing what these people were like that were followers of Christ. I wish I could find it. I, if I can find it, I'll bring it and read it because it it pumps us all up. Number two, three key factors in growth are that three key factors in growth are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let me give you, get it right down because I know it's a lot there. Three, three factors in, in our growth are being controlled by the Holy Spirit, 
time and the Word of God. So those three. The three factors are being controlled by the Holy Spirit, the time, and the Word of God. So we've got to be controlled. It's going to take time, and it goes back to the Scripture. Okay, you better got pretty got much got it. All you really just need to think. Here's those three things. Number number three is spiritual. We are spiritual believers as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking daily. As we live in the that, that spiritual Christians are those who are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So hopefully, every one of us in this room at this time are spiritual, right? We're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's based on how long and what we've been doing and whether we're mature or not, right? And we can go from being spiritually mature to being carnal in a matter of a second, right? And, and let me tell you, let me ask you this question. So if you, who know Christ, and maybe you've been a Christian for 20 years, and maybe you're actually a spiritually mature Christian, can you live in the flesh if you live in the flesh do you look like a Christian or not a Christian yeah. so it's when a person says that a real Christian wouldn't live this way or you can tell believers by how they live is that right or wrong it's stupid it's actually stupid there's no way you can tell if a person's a Christian by their lifestyle because they could be an unbeliever living good they could be a believer living bad there is no way so don't let people ever start telling you all this stuff that if you don't live right, it just proves you're not a Christian. I tell you what it proves if you don't live right. It proves that you're a carnal Christian. That's what it boils down to. Yes. That's a great point. I'm glad you said it. There's a verse that says you'll know them by their fruits. If you go to the passage, so Matthew will get to it. If you go to the passage, it's talking about false prophets. And you'll know them by their fruits. Now, this is what surprises everybody. Most people, if I said you'll know them by their fruits, you think what? Lifestyle. It has nothing to do with lifestyle because what, how do you know a prophet by what he says? And so in that passage, it says you'll know them by their fruits. And he's talking about false prophets. And he gets down there and he says there's going to be a time that they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do those? Are those good things or bad things? Good things. But he says, I don't know you because it's not lifestyle. And then he says, they come like wolves in sheep's clothing. Do they look good? Yes. So it's not talking about lifestyle. It's talking about their message. That's in Matthew. In the Gospel of Luke, he actually says, from their mouths tell what's in their hearts. So the truth is a false prophet. That passage is not talking about how you can tell a believer. It's basically saying you can know a false prophet by the message that they bring. And so if we turned on TV and a guy is telling you that, you know, Jesus is one of the many ways, and if you, you, you could say that guy's a false teacher right there because his message is, is not an accurate message. I thought I saw another hand come up. Did I see another hand? Oh, oh, did you have yours? Did you have your hand up? Oh, okay, okay. I thought I, thought I, I, thought I did. What, there, are, there are many unbelievers who think that if you live good, you get saved. So they might be really good people. Because they actually think that if you live good. Listen, before I trusted Christ, I, I said the only way you go to heaven is do more good than bad. So every time I did a bad, I did two goods. <laughs> I did, on purpose. I, I said, I want to live good. Because I know one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, okay, you got this many bads and this many goods. If you got more goods than bads, you get to go to heaven. So did I, was I a good person? Yeah, in fact, I was much worse after I became a Christian than before I became a Christian. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. 
Okay, so, so you can't go by lifestyle. Okay, where are we? Number four? Or number three? We're number four? Okay, number four. Maturity, maturity comes over time as we live in God's power. Maturity comes over time as we live in God's power. And last one's a little bit longer, but so let me just read it to you, and then if you want to write, uh, to, to, uh, we're to study the Word, knowing and applying the truths, so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So just say, we're to study and apply the Bible so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That, that's the bottom line. We've got to study it, dig it, live it out, and then we grow to know Him and to grow in grace. And down at the bottom, there's a memory verse, Hebrews 5.14.